I like to talk about get in, get in. So get in, get out, get paid. This is the Think Big Property Podcast, where Nyang earns means from property development and Tyrone, that's me, has means of questions. In this episode, we're going to be debating between land subdivisions, townhouses and units. We delve into the main differences between each of these property strategies, the time and effort that goes into planning townhouses and units compared to land subdivisions, here's some amazing stories from Nyang's own experience and much, much more. hot topic where Nyan and I recently discussed was about the differences between land subdivisions versus building townhouses or unit buildings. We decided to dedicate an episode for this and start off with what land subdivisions are. Land subdivision is a quite a basic topic in terms of uh, understanding. Um, you know, as some of us drive around, we might see projects where people might cut up a farm into smaller vacant blocks of 500 or 600 square meters. Um, I think the key thing here for residential investors and developers is you're providing new dwellings by way of vacant land and you're not actually building houses. You don't have to build houses. Sometimes people think when you're doing land subdivision, you have to build dwellings on it. Not necessarily. You can just sell it as vacant land. There's an art to it, of course. Um, but yeah, vacant land, the subdivision is producing more lots from within. So essentially, you're cutting up high up and selling it into smaller pieces, smaller chunk-like pieces that people can digest. No different to also you know, having a pizza, having a big pizza, coming up with smaller pieces and, and selling individual pieces. So, um, And then you've got townhouses, which essentially you do have to build the buildings uh, themselves. And it might be two buildings together as a duplex. It might be a block of three. It might be a block of five. It could be a block of 30 or 100, right? So townhouses are usually... Um, defined as townhouses because they don't have any buildings above them, um, maybe buildings left and right, but not above them, and they are on the ground. So, And then you progress to the next level, which is uh, apartments or units, where you've got uh, dwellings on top of each other. So it might be two levels of apartments, you might have you know, two, two bedroom apartments and then another one on top and another one on top, uh, essentially your strata titling there. So um, as you go from land to townhouses to units, also there's an increased level of complexity as well uh, and also costs associated with that. Just to add on to about townhouses, as you mentioned, there's nothing that builds on top, not like units but it's also possible with townhouses. Sometimes you can go two-story townhouses or three-story townhouses depending on the location and what the council is as well too. So we're not going to confuse those ones but we just want to make sure that if you're looking at townhouses, you just can't build additional dwellings like up three or four floors up above selling different um, townhouses above. When I started out, I think I was in my early 20s, one of my mentors, um, he was doing blocks of units. So he'd do blocks of 20 and that was his niche. He did 50 townhouses as well at one stage, but he's gone back and he really loves the apartments. He loves that model. He loves the construction model. He loves the sales model. So my point is that when I started out, I had dreams and visions of doing blocks of apartments. Um, since you know, since that time, I've done a whole stack of deals, and at this point in time, I don't feel the need or the drive to build you know a high rise building necessarily. But at that point in time, that's where I got my vision of doing bigger projects. Um, and, and units are really good for for people to aspire to and uh, learn uh, the path along the way. And, and that's what I did. I, I learned. I had a dream of building a block of twenty apartments, but in the meantime, I've learned the skills to get there, like 
building houses like strata titling, um, like renovation. So, um, yeah, so you're doing a, a subdivision at the moment, aren't you, Tyrone? How's that come along? The subdivision is going really well at the moment um, in terms of it's actually got the front part which is the renovation that we did that we subdivide the front to. It's The renovation is complete and we've got a lot of interest from the market. It's just taking a little bit longer with the subdivision of the land at the back because we've got that all approved and the council's happy but now to do all the utilities and so forth is a little bit delayed compared to what we had anticipated and that was probably partly because of the holidays during December and also tradespeople and engineers and all the you know people that need to help out with getting that process through to council um, didn't come back until probably mid to end of January. So that slows the whole process down and now we're just in that process just waiting and completely out of control but you know we're doing the best we can. And that's the thing, every council is different. I know that when people come into this industry or they start getting educated about property, they want to find a one size fits all and there is no one size fits all. The only, you could say one size fits all is the finished product when you're buying it off a developer when something's all finished like an apartment or townhouse or a turnkey house and you're going in and you're buying the retail product and you pay a premium for that, for that finished product when you're manufacturing the, the product which is what you're doing, you're essentially buying it wholesale, producing it retail and selling it retail to get a profit, you know, it does take time, it does take effort and there are processes that you cannot hurry up and force your way through even if you're throwing more money at it, you know, the councils. Uh, will do what they do and they've got boxes to tick and they've got jobs to justify so they'll do it at their pace uh, and there's no real shortcut but understanding the process that means that you can do multiple subdivisions at the same time or multiple projects at the same time and, and find ways to streamline it um, and use that dead time you could say to do sales which is what you've done. And that's all happening con concurrently I guess you can say because it's just all about a system. If you set the system up correctly and you follow the process, it's just following it straight through. You mentioned something very interesting that you know sometimes there's nothing really you can do with the council because they take their time and do all their own things and so forth. But uh, I was just thinking about um, a discussion we had recently about tradespeople and how we can also help them and influence them to actually get things done and town planners and so forth and giving them beer and you know getting them you know excited to actually think you think on top you know especially for them on a project to actually keep you at the top of their mind to get them done. Let's elaborate a little bit on that because I think that might be helpful in some sense as well for listeners trying to get things done. Yeah, absolutely. And look, this relates to renovations as well as land subdivisions or even building houses or townhouses, any process that you've got other people that you're paying or contracting them to do a job. Um, one of the key things I do with, let's say, my town planners and or engineers is I regularly, one, keep in touch with them. Even if you know things aren't moving along, I'll just touch base with them, say hi. Uh, from time to time, once they hit some milestones, there's nothing wrong with sending them cartons of beer or a bottle of scotch or a box of chocolates, right? So something just to acknowledge them because they are human beings at the end of the day and we all crave acknowledgement. So um, that's the second thing. And I think the third thing, which I think you're alluding to there, Tyrone, is paying their bills on time, especially, you know, tradespeople or people who are, you know, if they've got staff, they're managing staff, they've got cash flow and payroll to make. If you're paying their bills on time or even early at times and not always quandering or um, questioning you know, three cents here and five dollars there, you, know, you will find that they will be a lot more attentive on your works. And most people think, yeah, you know, that, that's easy to do. But half the time, as, as we are human, we tend to not do these things because we're either lazy or we just tend to forget. So, 
I guess if we just keep those things at the forefront of our mind in whatever transaction we go into, it probably will help speed up the process a bit more. So that's kind of related to the time aspect of talking about the different types of things that get involved with land subdivision, townhouses, unit building. What about the capital and the the possible debt that's required as well? Should we talk a little bit about that as well? Let's elaborate a little bit more on the, the time required. Even for example, let's talk about a one into two lot subdivision and a one into three townhouse or unit project, right? So generally a one into two subdivision, I'd allow somewhere between 12 and 18 months for a beginner, especially. Uh, and why I'd say uh, a beginner, because you just don't know who to call. You don't know who can solve problems. The civil engineer might say, oh, you need to contact the traffic engineer to resolve this turning circle issue. And you go, well, one, why? And two, does that mean I have to spend more money? And then three, who do I actually ring? <laughs> you know, so. Um, Oftentimes, there's things that consultants see that you don't see, and, and then by the time you decide, yeah, I'm going to ring somebody, go ring, get three quotes, and this person isn't the cheapest. Can I trust them? Um, it takes a lot of time. So I remember my first uh, subdivision DA. It took me, I think, six months to lodge. Once I decided to lodge the subdivision, to actually lodging it, it took me six months. Right. So whereas these days, the, the, even the bigger projects, I like to lodge even before I settle the purchase. It took me one figuring out the process, talking to multiple people, figuring out are they going to rip me off, what, why do I ring the surveyor, um, what's a contribution. So yeah, it, I was just learning on the fly. I knew that I could subdivide it and I could get two rectangles done up, bang, but you've got things like hydraulic reports. Why do I need a hydraulic report? What's that going to prove? Oh, you need one. Okay, it's going to flood. Okay, well, that's going to cost $3,500. Oh. I've got to talk to my business partner. He's not going to like that. So it takes, yeah, for, for me, uh, because I wasn't au uh, fait with the process, I was using a guy who was um, not even a professional town planner. I don't know what qualifications he had and how I got onto him, but he worked from home. Right? I think he was like, yeah, maybe a draftsman or something or a builder, um, and he worked from home. I can still visualize his house, old guy in his 60s. Um, and I think I went with him because he was the cheapest, but I think he just took forever. And he, you know, was doing it part time. Um, so long story short, was I just really didn't know what I was doing. Um, and so sometimes, you know, my new clients, I have a bit of a go at them because you got flow charts and and all that. But having said that, when you haven't done anything before, you don't know why it's important to do it. You, you just won't do it quickly, or you won't do it promptly because it's not easy. It's a new skill. It takes time to learn, and that's the thing. Once you've learned that skill, it's just like riding a bike. Once you've learned it, you know the process in the back of your mind, even though it's all written down, checklists and so forth. But then when you feel confident that, okay, that's the process, then you start to challenge yourself to do it even more. And that, that's how we can scale up, you know, from the one into two to one to four and so forth because the confidence is built in. So I know we're talking about land subs and townhouses and unit building. One of the things that I've said at a recent seminar is that you really need to focus or master a formula, focus on a niche, right? Focus on a niche. So because there's so many excuse me, shiny bright objects, even just these three, there's so many variations of these ones, whether you do it on flat blocks, in premium areas, in low cost areas, single story, two story, three bed, two bed, uh, studios, um, 200 square meter blocks, 500 square meter blocks. So this, how wide are the, my point is that there's so much niche, uh, so much shiny bright objects to focus on. And whatever you choose to do, if you want to be a developer, just pick one and try to match that strategy to the suburb that you're in as well. Because it does take time, it does take capital. 
um, I think the main part of the discussion that um, we were meant to talk about was that, you know, with land subdivision, it's less capital intensive than townhouses or units. And the main reason for that is with townhouses or units, the main difference to land subdivision, as you can see, visually, is that you have to build the building, right? So you might take six to 12 months to get an approval, whether it's for one into three or one into five, six months to get that approval, maybe 12 months for a one into two, one to five subdivision as well. And then with the subdivision, the construction works are relatively fast because it's all underground. You're digging trenches, plug it in, and then off you go. Whereas the townhouse or unit, you actually got to build the building above the ground on top of infrastructure you have to put in. So one, it's a lot more capital uh, intensive, and two, it is a, a lot more time intensive as well. So you know, I like to talk about get in, get in. So get in, get out, get paid. And, and that's why I've done townhouses before, um, been involved in uh, apartments as well, but not developing them myself. Um, more so strata titling as well as selling them, um, but more so with the townhouses. And um, my experience with land is that yeah, it's a lot easier to get in and get out I was going to ask you a question particularly about um, townhouses and unit buildings because obviously we said that because you've got to actually have more capital cost behind it because you've got to build the actual uh, property there on top of the land. What about in terms of say for example additional costs such as architecture, engineering, all those consultants that would require to actually draw up those plans, that would be an additional time that you got to factor in plus additional costs whereas I'm wondering whether or not you know if you're just to get them to do the land subdivision, just draw out the plans on the on the ground, you know, with just blocks on and so forth. Is that around the same amount of time or do you think it actually takes a lot more effort and time to actually get those drawings done for buildings itself? This can vary depending on the project to project. With townhouses, especially when you're starting out, you can you usually tie yourself up in knots because you really focus on the design and making it perfect and fitting the block and, and things like that. Same with apartments. But whereas what happens after a while is that you work with the team and they'll work on, they'll do a, a footprint. Let's say it's a five-storey building or a block of five townhouses. They'll use one footprint and they'll duplicate it, cookie cutter, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. So initially it will take a while. Uh, and when you're doing bigger projects or more expensive high-end projects, it does take a lot longer. Now, for a set of architects' plans, a basic set, one into three, could be 15,000, uh, a block of six units, which is more higher end. It could be 50,000 for a set of architects' plans um, for that. So. Um, look, one of the things I do want to say is that also some in your area doing subdivisions may not completely be even appropriate, right? So I know some areas of Sydney because there just is no land, you can't do subdivisions. So we're wanting just to talk about these in, in generic uh, terms and you might want to match, cut and paste some of these concepts into your area. Coming up after a break, we'll delve into testing out the waters before diving right in. I wouldn't necessarily suggest people jump straight into subdivision or townhouses straight away. The reason a finished product is easier to sell than vacant blocks of land. Houses are a lot easier to sell. People like to buy what they can see, they can touch it, they can taste it. We need to be looking if you want vacant blocks of land. So availability of, of land to do subdivisions, you generally have to go out more regional. So that's next. And you're listening to the Think Big Property Podcast.
at the end of the day, if you're to actually implement a strategy, say for example in Sydney, as you know, the, the cost of buying a, even a house here is over a million dollars currently. And you know, because of that, it's so scarce to be able to find blocks of land. And no doubt when you buy a block of land, it's going to be even just as expensive to do that. And um, most of the land that's been sold here and even been subdivided, been subdivided into small, small lots like between 400 to 450 square meters. And I'm not even surprised if they're even going smaller because we've got such limited amount of land. So the only way for that to happen is then you've got to go further, whether or not you've got to drive up further north, which goes out towards like Newcastle and even further up as well too. And I've known a lot of people driving even two, three hours out of Sydney just to find blocks of land that they can subdivide just to even give the strategy a go because at the end of the day, you know, if, if it, it becomes too risky to invest into something that's like a million dollar block of land, your holding costs are going to be quite high compared to say maybe going out a little bit further in a different council just to test the waters for maybe a two or three hundred thousand dollar block. And I know that people out in say, for example, the Hunter region are purchasing blocks for between 350 to about 450,000 and able to subdivide those as well quite well and still making a profit. Now, I'm not saying that this is, you know, where I would suggest to go, but I'm just talking in terms of just generally depending on where it is, you've just got to look very, very hard to be able to find the, the blocks that are suitable and especially if it's in demand as well too. I suggest people just be open-minded about it. You know, you may have done some renovations and you want you get your hands dirty on a townhouse project where you keep a house and build a duplex at the back. You know, that's a really good way to learn how to do that. If you've got the house at the front, you renovate the house, you can rent it out. Just like Tyrone's done, you can sell it down off the plan, have a exit strategy already in place to clear out some of the debts subject to the title and subject to selling the land. So, you know, it's a really good stepping stone to the next step. I wouldn't necessarily suggest people jump straight into subdivision or townhouses straight away. We're just you know, highlighting some of the thoughts and considerations for people when they're looking at multiple opportunities. We've covered the, the aspects about time and also capital required and also debt required. Now, I think the question about debt and capital, um, maybe if we want to sort of just cover on what that the differences are. So, I guess, yeah, I mean, from your point of view, since you've since you've been purchasing um, properties and, and blocks of land and, you, you know, you're going through one right now as a case study or example, you know, 30 lot subdivision, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, you know, the holding costs there are quite substantial. Um, how have you mitigated those risks? I'm laughing because I can see the blood going down the gutter. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, no, it's, it is good. It's taken uh, two years to get to where we are. Um, so just to give you guys a bit of perspective, um, Tyrone's right. About two years ago, I secured a, a block of land, purchased it, settled it um, for about $1 million. It was a 11,000 square meter block, about 15 k's out of Brisbane CBD. Um, and it was a ugly duckling, right? There was a creek or there is a creek that goes through it. And part of it is a flooding uh, map overlay. Uh, part of our strategy and part of our meetings with council, we were able to negotiate uh, what we thought the flooding was and based on reports, long story short, was something that seemed undevelopable. We were able to solve it and solve some issues with flooding, with uh, neighbouring blocks, with access. And long story short, find the neighbour's backyard, we are able to get 30 blocks um, in total, right? So 11,000 square metres plus the neighbour's backyard, call it, uh, 14 or so thousand square meters, uh, we're able to do 30 blocks. It ranged from 184 square meters to I think 405 square meters off the top of my head. So, um, yeah, the, the 184 square meters, I think we got two of those. We got a couple of 200 square meter blocks, 
Um, I've done a few small lot sales, so I'm quite excited about those. Uh, they generally have the, what I mean by that is I've sold them in the past in other projects and they usually happen towards the end of the project. But those are the ones that are most profitable for us because we sell them for the highest dollar per square meter rate. That is tiny to be honest. I mean, like for putting in perspective, the average size of say a property out right now in, in, in sort of the Northwest District out towards say like, you know, Kellyville and and that kind of area, we're probably averaging between 400 to 450 square meters. And you can just literally put a, a four-bedroom double-story house there but a tiny, tiny backyard. Like my kids can just barely run in that, you know, from side to side within maybe, you know, a few meters. And I'm like thinking... Yeah, that's a mansion. That's a mansion for us. And I'm thinking 184 square meters. What can you actually build on this? 180 to 200 square meters is the size of a block of land for a three-bedroom townhouse. So if you think of a townhouse, that's the block of land that it sits on um, effectively. And with a bit of massaging and a bit of clever design, uh, I've seen some of the guys who built their houses on the blocks I've sold previously, 180 square meters, a little bit less. They did uh, four-bed, two-bath, Two car, so essentially a four bedroom townhouse um, where everything's quite compact. You don't have a you know that, that second living area necessarily, um, and you don't have a backyard. And, and you will find that one, it is very much budget driven. It's affordability driven. Like these blocks will be roughly two hundred thousand to buy, and then they'll build a let's say two hundred fifty thousand dollar building on it. So call it four hundred fifty thousand. It's very much budget, and it's very little maintenance. If they're clever, they put some astroturf down and or some gravel and they don't ever have to mow ever again. We'll have to unpack this into a proper episode, a case study of this whole 30 lot because we don't have that much time in this episode to talk about the details behind it. But that's amazing just to be able to hear that. It's a 30 lot subdivision as you've mentioned and you're bound to get between 184 square meters to anywhere between 400 and 450 square meters for each one of these. So I think we're talking a little bit about the actual difficulties behind it as well and, and some of the capital stuff behind it. So let's continue on that part. We diverge and we can come back and you know, some other episode maybe down the track here talk about micro subdivisions and small lots because uh, yeah, there's a lot to say because there's a lot of questions about you know who would buy this and why would someone live in that and downfalls and, and all that but we'll come back to that. Um, yeah, so difficulty selling the product, I think that's one thing that people underestimate. If they are going to do townhouses or land subdivisions, um, selling a finished product with walls and floors and paint and fans and bathrooms, that's why townhouses or finished houses are a lot easier to sell. People like to buy what they can see, they can touch it, they can taste it, and go, oh yeah, that's what the noise is like, or the air conditioning, or that's where I'm going to put my fridge. They can see that. and so. When you have finished product or display product, it's a lot easier for people to, to buy. When you're selling uh, vacant land, it is a lot harder uh, to sell. But there is a skill in it and there is an art in it. So it's taken me time and that's what I say to people, if you are going to do uh, something like land subdivision, don't just jump in and do 5, 10, 20 lots because if you've never sold land before, it, it's a big risk. If you've never done it before, um, especially if let's say five blocks, um, and I'll give you an example, right? I had, coming back to this uh, example of the uh, 180 square meter blocks of land, I had a, a site 1,062 square meters with an existing house. So 1,062, I could cut it into two different ways. I, actually, I could do it different ways. I could do a block of 20 apartments, zone for apartments, right? I could do 20 apartments, three-story. I could do keep the house and build four townhouses on the block or I could cut up into three blocks of land or five blocks of land. So let's just start with the uh, 
land subdivision scenarios. Yeah, and this does tie into the difficulty selling product uh, part of this theme as well. So, you know, so there are, let's say, at least four or five scenarios. In this particular instance, 1,062 square metres, zoned for apartments. You can go three-storey. And some of the guys in Sydney and Melbourne might be thinking, mate, you're crazy. Why didn't you build those apartments or townhouses? Um, the issue was it's a lower socioeconomic area. So let's say the townhouses, end value, low to mid threes, and apartment, there's no apartments whatsoever in that area. So, you know, if you're gauging an area, you might look at a regional area in terms of costing so you understand that, Building a three-story apartment is just be suicide. You wouldn't be able to get finance necessarily. 20 apartments at 250 grand each, that's $5 million in a low socioeconomic area is absolute suicide. So, so discounting the apartments, then looking at townhouses, going, well, there's just no market for it. People like land. People like land. In this particular instance, it's not a generalization. This particular instance, I realized, okay, really, I either cut it into three, keep the house in the middle, it's on a corner block, houses in the middle, cut it into three, or the zoning actually allows me to cut it into smaller blocks of 180 square metres times four and then keep the house as well. So effectively one into five, so two into five because it's already on two lots. So keep the house, cut it into another two blocks of land, so one, in, so two into three, or a two into five scenario. So normally and traditionally what I would have done was I would have cut it into three. And the fees on that was roughly 100K, pretty straightforward, in and out. Excuse me. Um, but what had happened the week before that, I had a project around the corner. And some people think I've been a mad scientist when it comes to properties. I'm always testing the market to see what it will do if I do provide something different. Yeah. So around the corner, I had done just done a one into two. It was a 560-odd square metre block. And I cut, kept the house, corner block, cut off 184 square metres facing a train line, right? So facing a train line is important. So I kept the house, cut off a small block of land, and I just sold that block of land, 184 square metres for 175, 175,000 facing a train line. So, so because I knew that, and here's the thing, is when I listed that block of land, I didn't know what it was worth, so I started at 199 I thought, that's pretty ridiculous. And I just kept dropping the price week by week by week, uh, month by month, just to see what the market would say. And then, and then when I hit 175 odd, I got a buyer. This lady called me, and that was Katie. She ended up buying it, and so I thought, that is what the market's at. So my point was that previous to me doing this two into five layout or consideration of feasibility, I just sold the block of land around the corner, so I knew my blocks which two of them were facing a monster park, like council parkland, hectares and hectares of park, we're going to get a lot more money dollar per square metre. So those blocks are priced at 192 or 195 um, and the other blocks that were not park facing were 179 and 180. So um, my point is that part of sometimes when you're doing land subdivision and you're trying to squeeze out a dollar, you've got to be very careful because if there's no um, precedent, valuations are going to be difficult. And that, that's what happened with my two into five uh, because I'd sold that other block to Katie facing that train line privately. The valuers didn't like it. It had been a real estate agent. They may have priced it up, but there was no – I'd sold it privately just as an experiment. And then when I came to sell my other blocks of land through an agent, they just didn't have any comparable sales.
So do you think having it close to a train line affected the price and, and possibly reduced it or was it a better outcome? I think it's definitely reduced it and the people who looked at it were, you know, turning their nose at it. Not just that, it was just a, such a small block of land. Um, and so with the two into five lot subdivision um, experiment, I started to learn how to sell to owners with smaller blocks. And, and with the coming back to the 30 lot subdivision, that's why we've only done, let's say, half a dozen or so blocks that are 200 square meters or so and under because we know that they will sell last it's a different market the market needs to touch it taste it feel it whereas the other buyers of the 300 400s uh, they're a lot more confident they're usually not first home buyers they might be second home they might be trading up uh, their unrenovated house to get some more uh, yeah some more bling and get a, a newer product um, yeah my, my point is yeah, selling vacant land is difficult uh, it's not impossible and it's not uh, undoable. There's a skill and art in it. That's why, you know, with my 30 lots, I'm putting a lot of energy in. Um, and and it's, a, it's a process you've got to learn. This would be an excellent episode in itself to talk about selling because to sell any product, not just necessarily just land but also to any type, it's great to be able to compare what the intricacies are and, and also some of the skills that are required to do it because we can talk about it and we can also share case studies behind it but to actually go out and, and do it in the real world is another thing and I think bringing your real life experience into an episode to talk about selling land is going to be amazing to be able to hear because I think there's going to be a lot of um, what do you describe like how do you describe it? It's like um, amazing insight you know from, from a developer's point of view as well too. Selling land is a niche thing just like I said before whether you're doing townhouses and whether you're doing executive townhouses or single-story townhouses. You know, one of our colleagues, uh, Joanne Hands, she does duplexes, single-story duplexes. That's her niche. And, and there's a lot of pluses in doing single-story, but finding that land isn't always easy. So I, I think what I want to communicate is whatever you do, you know, think big, start small, and hence the name of our podcast, yay, um, <laughs> is uh, through the way through, all the way through is just experiment. We've talked a little bit about market demand for land versus townhouse just a moment ago and we've experienced, you know, it's a different market, different niche and we need to be fully aware of that because when you're selling land, it's another, I guess, a can of worms compared to say townhouses, you know, with a completely different market. Now, it would be really interesting to actually learn a little bit more about say the availability of land to develop. You know, this is interesting to, to maybe discuss a little bit more in detail and explain to the listeners what that's all about. I think... One of the key things, if people are wanting to do blocks of land, uh, if you're looking at New South Wales or Victoria, just start there, is that you may have to go to regional areas to, to make it affordable for you. I know we're talking to some clients in the Hunter Hunter area, talking about 1,000 square metres on a corner block there. Uh, I know Victoria there, a couple of my clients are doing stuff within you know, 20, 30 k's of, of CBD. Their purchase prices are probably 500 k and below. Um for actually probably 20 to 30 Ks, not 10 to 20 Ks. So, yeah, my point is that you definitely generally have to go out further, but it doesn't mean that you may not you know, be able to do a, let's say, in Croydon, uh, a thousand square meters, keep the house at the front, do two townhouses at the back, right? So, availability of, of land to do subdivisions, you generally have to go out more regional, or you have to, if you're in town, you're going to do smaller blocks. Right? Corner blocks are ideal for it to be able to get frontage. Um, and with townhouses, keeping the house at the front, building a duplex at the back uh, it is a very, very good cookie-cutter system to do it. I was talking to clients about that. And um, the good thing about keeping the dwelling at the front, it's good for rent. Uh, if it's a reasonably conditioned house, you can get good finance 
on it as well. Whereas if you buy, let's say, a 10,000 square meter block of land with a house on it or no house on it, funding can be very, very difficult. Whereas if you're buying, let's say, a million dollar house on a thousand square meters, keeping the house at the front, it's very likely the bank will give you residential finance uh, versus, let's say, a, a block of land of 10,000 square meters for a million dollars, no house on it. It's very likely that they won't give you residential finance and you might be only able to borrow 500 grand as opposed to 800 grand on the other project. So I think you know availability is definitely one thing. Um, finance is another consideration as well, just to even get into the project. Coming up on the next episode of the Think Big Property Podcast, we'll be diving into the topic of no money down. I think getting money partners, if you are going to do it, you need to get look at the real core reason why you're doing it. Different types of models when you're starting off with your money partner. You might start off with a certain model. I do suggest that if people are looking at it, a profit share model is a good way to, to look at it because it's scalable. If you've got money, then why would you want to use someone else's? James Packer is a billionaire. Why does he have a public company, right? Why does he use other people's money? And, and the one word comes down to firstly is leverage and the other one is risk. And that's next time on the Think Big Property Podcast.